Good morning. So those of you that know, um, we have been working on quilt squares with the quilting team. And um, they have already received over 200 quilt squares. And if you didn't get a chance, today is the absolute <laughs> last day, final day. Trust me, they're not begging for squares, but they're giving you an opportunity. If you want to do a square, it's today, right after the service today. So I am personally really excited to see all the people that have been involved in the church and how this church has been meaningful um, in the lives of people. So I personally can't wait to read them all. And, and my husband was the one that designed our family square, so I'm pretty proud about that. Anyway, I hope you all had a great time celebrating the 4th of July. Um, as early as Thursday night, I heard some popping in our neighborhood in the evening, and I asked my husband, I'm like, what is that? And he's like, well, it is the eve of 4th of July. And I'm like, yeah, that's true, but fireworks are illegal in Loma Linda, so I don't know. I don't have an answer for that, but hopefully you had an opportunity to celebrate the freedom that we have to worship, the freedom that we have to read the Bible here in this country. And just a little bit of history about yesterday, the Declaration of Independence was actually adopted 238 years ago. And here's just a quick recap, some interesting facts that maybe you didn't know. It was written by Thomas Jefferson, and it was on July 2 that Congress had passed and said, hey, you know what, we want to become an independent nation, an independent whatever you want to call it. They wanted, to, they wanted independence from Britain. And so the Declaration of Independence's final approval was the evening of July 4. It was signed by 55 men who represented 13 colonies. And I want to read you some of the things that they wrote, because they wrote very clear complaints and very specific charges against King George III. And they wrote it so that the world would know why they were wanting their independence. Here are some, here are some of the things that they wrote. That he was unwilling to pass laws that his people would benefit from. He would sometimes call meetings to places unusual, uncomfortable, and distant from where they were so that he could fatigue them into compliance with what he wanted. Um, they wanted independence because he would impose taxes without their consent. He would deprive them of their benefits of trial by jury. And he would declare that they were out of his protection, out of his territory to protect. And then he would turn around and wage war against them. The list is long, and you can go and read it if you get a chance. And obviously, they concluded that they wanted independence from this king, King George III, because they considered him a tyrant, and they declared him unfit to be a ruler of the free people. They went from one king and kingdom to another form of government. Does that ring any bells biblically for you? For me, I was like, whoa, this is exactly like what happened to the people of Israel. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, because of his old age, Samuel had appointed his two sons to be judges over Israel. Unfortunately, they turned out to be dishonest, they perverted justice, and they were accepting bribes. So the elders of Israel went to Samuel and said, give us a king to lead us. Samuel was not happy with the request, and he went to God saying, this is what they're asking for. And God's response to Samuel was, listen to all the people are saying to you. It is not about you, Samuel. It's not you that they have rejected, but it's me that they have rejected as their king, as they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, forsaking me and, for, and serving other gods. 
Friends, today I would like for us to make a declaration. Not that we have rejected God as king of our lives, but that we declare him absolute dependence on him. But before we do that, I'd like to talk about what our lives look like when we live independently of him. You see, we live in a society that values independence so highly and so much more than it values dependence. Children are taught to be independent so that they will have the skills necessary to go through the daily tasks of life, which is important to learn. But are these children taught how to depend on God in the everyday life? Are they taught that he's the one who gives life and it's because of him that they are alive? You see, we were those children at one point. And now we have become independent adults that are living our lives as best we know how in a culture that has taught us how, which means we are living our lives independently. But did you know that the definition of independence means freedom from outside control or support? Some synonyms of independence are even self-reliance, self-sufficiency, self-dependence, self-support. And all of these definitions sound really great if you're living on, living on a deserted island, having to get your own food, water, shelter, and if God didn't exist. But that is not the type of reality we live in. That is not the type of world we live in. And we definitely acknowledge that God does exist. You see, living an independent life means relying on ourselves. And this often results in four areas. First, when we live independently, it creates a mistrust of those around us and of others. It's as if we don't believe that those around us can be trusted, like they don't have our best interest in mind. We automatically assume that if something good is going to happen, it's for their own benefit, or we ask ourselves, well, what's in it for them? Why are they doing it? What are they getting out of it? But this is not how we were created to exist. God was with his people. He dwelled among his people all through the Old Testament. And then he sent Jesus, his very son, to be with his people again, who spent time sharing with the people in their everyday lives, building relationships and forming community. Jesus did not live an independent life, cut off from those around him. He even trusted his disciples so much with his message to take it to the world. We are called to depend on him and to live in the community of his people. Second, when we live independently and we have mistrust of those around us, we therefore rely solely on ourselves and that can lead to exhaustion. When we depend on him, we can give him those things that are heavy, burdensome, and those things that really exhaust us. Jesus has told us in Matthew 28, 11, or 11, 28, come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Third, when we live independently and rely on ourselves, we become a harsh judge and critic of ourselves and others, which results in two things. The first of which is competition. We judge ourselves too harshly, and sometimes we end up judging others with the same critical viewpoint, and then we compare ourselves to them, which then leads us to being in competition with them. But this is not how Jesus has called us to live, because no one benefits from this type of competition. Either we look at ourselves as, yeah, we're the winner, we're better than them, and we put them down, or we look at them as the winner, put them up, and we put ourselves down. Rather, God has made each one of us unique, and each of us have gifts and talents that are unique to us. 
depending fully on God, will help us practice recognizing those gifts and unique differences in each other. The second part of this is, when we've become a harsh critic, we are less willing and less able to receive forgiveness and to also be forgiving. In 2009, in addition to pastoring, I took on a one-semester course that was um, required by the conference office, and we had to do a certain number of visitation hours. And it was during this exact same time that a member of my family had become seriously ill and needed my attention once or twice a week. At the end of the semester, I found myself really behind in what was required to actually get the certificate of completion. When it came time, I was thinking, you know, I had practiced this whole conversation in my head with how it would go with my supervisor, like, oh, you know, well, I'm planning to do this and finish up my hours. So when it came time to actually have the conversation with him, I told him, you know, I'm behind this many hours and I'm planning to make it up and, you know, what can we do? How can I go about doing that? Well, he had said to me, um, you know, the course is finished. And I said, yes. And he said, the course is finished. Here is your certificate of completion, and you're done. And I didn't understand, so I kept reiterating what I was trying to say. I said, well, you know, I'm planning to finish these hours, and I just need to know when is the best time for me to start doing that. And he said, the course is finished. We're done. The class is done. You're done. And so he kind of went on a little bit more and said to me, you don't need to complete the hours. You are done. The semester is done. And I had to ask him again, so you mean I don't need to make up the part that I'm lacking? And he said, no, the course is done. You are done. Here is your certificate of completion. I think he had to say it three times before I finally understood what he meant. It meant that I had been forgiven of what was required of me to finish the semester. And once I understood that and sat in his office, it was just this emotion, that wave of emotion that came up over me, and the only thing I could do is cry. So I sat in his office crying, and he let me have my moment respecting my tears. Go ahead. And then um, I, was, I kept crying, and he said, you know, I, I have another class that I need to get to. You're welcome to stay in my office. Just let yourself out when you get a moment, when you're done. And so he left and went to his class, which I was a part of, but he obviously excused me. I kept crying for another half hour, 45 minutes or so. I don't even know how long. He came back from class and said, you're still crying? I said, yes. And he said, you don't receive much grace, do you? And I cried even harder. <laughs> oh, it makes me cry just telling you about it. Um, so my class was going to celebrate that we had finished this semester together. We were going to a restaurant, and um, I had pulled myself together just enough to act like I wasn't even crying anymore. Went to the restaurant, and as soon as they found a table to sit, I knew where they were sitting. I said, all right, I excused myself, and went to the bathroom, closed the bathroom stall, locked it, and cried some more. <laughs> Probably for 15 more minutes or so, until I finally had it out. And I finally understood, wow. I was forgiven of that, and I don't need to do anymore. Friends, when, when we are harsh on ourselves, it's hard to receive forgiveness. When we are harsh on others, it's hard to give forgiveness. When we live independently and, and rely solely on ourselves, it's difficult to accept grace. But Jesus has said that his forgiveness is for you, and it's for me. 
And it's so much easier sometimes to say that to other people, that you're forgiven, Jesus loves you, he'll forgive you. Then to receive it for ourselves, sometimes it's so difficult and so hard. But depending on the one who gives forgiveness, will definitely be able, be able to help us accept it a little bit more in its entirety. Fourth, when we live an independent life, we think we know what we need. And this unfolds in a couple of ways. First, we covet. Let's just admit it, we covet. We say, if I could only have this or that, it would be the solution to the problems in my life at this moment. And sometimes what it is that we're coveting is an idea or a material good that we think is gonna be the answer to what we're looking for, but the satisfaction in that is never gonna last. Jesus has told us in Matthew 6, 20 and 21, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When we live dependent on God, our heart will also treasure those things that he treasures and our true satisfaction will come from him. It won't be temporary, it'll be eternal. And the second way this unfolds is when we think we know what we need, we could actually lose sight of the journey that God has for us. We think, oh, if I could just find a quick solution to this problem that I have, it would be great. But maybe it's exactly that problem is what we need to understand him more. Maybe he is using that journey or that problem to speak to us, to help us know his ways. When we live dependent on God, we would be willing to say, as the psalmist did in Psalm 86, 11, teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. And when we live dependent on God, we can remember that he's the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end, and he knows and sees everything. And he's with us, even though the journey may be hard and difficult. But living a life completely dependent on God, completely dependent on God, is countercultural to the independent life that many are comfortable living. Did you know that the antonyms of independence are dependence and reliance? And often that times those terms are associated negatively. You see, God has not called us to be independent of him, but to be dependent on him, to rely on him. And there are three ways that we can live dependently on him. First, we need to depend on God for our identity because we, friends, are sons and daughters of the king. I recently listened to a Henry Nouwen sermon that he preached at the Crystal Cathedral. It was uploaded um, onto YouTube in 2009, but Kathy thinks it's more like the 80s that he preached it, which looks about right. It's a three-part sermon, and it's awesome and amazing, so when you get a chance and have time, load it up. Um, but he, but the, one, the sermon that I'm quoting from today is entitled, Being the Beloved. He says that we spend a lifetime trying to figure out who we are, what our identity is, and he says that we base our identity on three things. What we do, what others say about us, and what we have. And Nowen says that this is not who we are and that it is wrong to live this way. He says our identity does not come from our career. 
Our identity does not come from what other people are saying about us or gossiping about us. Our identity does not come from the amount of toys or material goods that we possess or whatever knowledge it is that we have in our minds, but it comes from knowing that we are sons and daughters of God and we are his beloved. Second, when we live a life dependent on God, this is living vulnerably. To depend on anyone makes us vulnerable, right? It puts us at a place of possibly being rejected or possibly leaving hangout to dry. But friends, we are God's sons and daughters. He has already told us he loves us. There are pages and pages of his story in the Bible that has shown us that he is dependable, that he is the one that was vulnerable first, and he sent his son to die for us. How could he ever think of rejecting us? Third, when we live a life dependent on God, we model this way of life for the generations behind us. They are watching our every move and listening to every word that is uttered from our lips. I was in the car one time with my son and my husband. We were in a rush, as you know, sometimes you are with little children. My son's two and a half. And I spilt um, boiled egg all over my lap cut up boiled egg. <laughs> and I said something that I should not have said, and he immediately said the same thing. Mm-hmm. I felt terrible. My, son, my husband looked at me. <laughs> I immediately turned to my son. I said, son, mommy's really sorry for saying that. Those are words we don't use. Okay, do you understand? He said, yes, mommy. I'm like, so please don't ever say that again, okay? <laughs> okay. It may come out. I'm sorry. <laughs> but we are modeling for them a way of life. Everything we say, they listen to. Everything we do, they watch. We are modeling for them what the true Christian life is about. And we are responsible for passing on our faith down to them so that they too will know that they are sons and daughters of the king and that they are God's beloved. Phil Vischer was the previous, well, I guess he is the owner now. We got that clarified. Um, Phil Vischer, he lost his company for a little stint there. He's the, he's the owner and creator of VeggieTales. At the height of his success in the late 90s, the VeggieTales videos sold about 7 million videos and brought in about $40 million um, in revenue per year. If you're not familiar with VeggieTales, it's a children's computer animation program that uses talking vegetables to tell moral stories and to tell Bible-based stories. But um, Big Idea Productions, which produced VeggieTales, um, went into bankruptcy in 2003. And Phil Vischer, from that point, 2003 up until 2011, at the end of 2011, was not the, was not the owner or the creative genius anymore. I just found out after first service that he is now the president of the company again, starting in 2012. But um, this is an interview that I'm going to quote from him that was in 2011, just before, so he was not um, the president of the company at that moment. But he said, this is what he said in his interview in 2011 of September. He said, I looked back at the previous 10 years, and I realized I had spent 10 years trying to convince kids to behave Christianly without actually teaching them Christianity. And that was a pretty serious conviction. You can say, hey kids, be more forgiving because the Bible says so, or hey kids, be more kind because the Bible says so. But that isn't Christianity, it's morality. He continues on. 
American Christians are drinking a cocktail that's a mix of the Protestant work ethic, the American dream, and the gospel. And we've intertwined them so completely that we can't tell them apart anymore. Our gospel has become a gospel of following your dreams and being good so that God will make all of your dreams come true. Am I just as guilty as doing that? Are we guilty for watering down the message of Jesus that the end result is producing moral kids instead of Christ followers? There's nothing wrong with having a dream, but what about when that dream is in direct conflict with how God is calling you to live your life? My son, like I said, he's two and a half. This is part of what we talk about with him. His comprehension at the moment is only understanding how to do good. If I ask him if he was kind and loving today, he says yes. Or when he does something kind and loving, I tell him how much I appreciate that he did that. I ask him if he loves Jesus, and he says yes. And I remind him how much Jesus loves him. He runs around the house singing, happy birthday, Jesus loves me, I'm in the Lord's army with the cutest little yes sir you've ever heard. Because this is where he's at. This is his maximum comprehension of Jesus and the church at the moment. I don't know when he'll be able to grasp the concept of Jesus dying for him, but just yesterday for the first time in a book, he saw a drawing of Jesus on the cross with a wounded bloody back and a crown of thorns on his head, and he asked me what it was. So I told him. I pray that he doesn't come to understand the gospel, as Phil Vischer says it, as a mix of the Protestant work ethic, the American dream, and the gospel. I pray that the Jesus he comes to know and understand is the real Jesus, the one who suffered and died for him, the one who loves him with an unending love, I pray that he will learn fully to depend on God for his identity as a son of God, that he would live a life that is vulnerable to God, and that he would keep passing on his faith to the generations behind him. Friends, we have so much to gain when we live a life that is fully dependent on God, when we allow him to be in charge of our lives, when we allow him to lead our lives, we are submitting to his desires for us. Though the original Declaration of Independence had a long list of reasons of why they wanted independence from King George, they also concluded that he was unfit to be the ruler of the free people. And honestly, there is only one who is fit to be ruler of the free people, to be ruler of us, and that's God, our King. He's the creator, the maker, the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end, and though our country declared independence from him 238 years ago, sorry, from King George 238 years ago, who was the unfit ruler and king, let us declare absolute dependence on the one king that we have. Let us make our own declaration of independence on God.